Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Jimmy G balls out in a big way. Is that good or is that bad for the New Orleans Saints? Because the 49ers go down to Mexico City, put on a show as they trounce the Cardinals last night on Monday Night Football. And the handsome one has the best game of his season. Oh, And now they'll return back home to California to welcome in the New Orleans Saints. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and company on this still slightly chilly Tuesday morning. 6.05 is the time, and we're going to be here for you for the next three hours. Tremendous show lined up for you today. We got an hour from right now, Trevor Beggy, the former St. Thomas More Cougar star, went on to play at McNeese and then at Incarnate Word. Now trying to make a go of it in the pro ranks as he signed a contract in the CFL, the Canadian Football League. So we'll talk to Trevor about his journey trying to get to pro ball. That'll be coming up an hour from right now. Then directly following that, will be our weekly conversation with Coach Dez, the man in charge of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Regular season finale is this coming Saturday at Texas State. A win gets them bowl eligible. A win gets them to a bowl game, more than likely the Independence Bowl. Then at 8 o'clock, the great one, Jim Gazzolo, will be joining us, our friend for the Lake Charles American Press, talking all things McNeese. And then at 8.30, we'll talk Pels. Got a win last night against the cover band known as the Golden State Warriors. We'll talk to Ollie Cassell about that and about Zion's return. Of course, we'll take your phone calls. Just because it's a Tuesday of a holiday week does not mean we don't want to hear from you. Hannah Five Names, the producer extraordinaire, loves to hear from you. Brings her joy. She's a people person. And trust me. She'd much rather talk to you than she would to talk to me because I can be grumpy pants. Just saying. Just saying. So give us a call on that hotline. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. We'd love to hear from you. We'll talk LSU, Cajuns, McNeese, Saints, Pelicans. Does not matter. World Cup? Want to hear from you. Yes, I actually watched some of the World Cup yesterday. And people got excited about the Americans. And then people didn't get excited about the Americans. It's like any other World Cup. 
Oh, I got some diehard soccer friends, man. That love it. Just, just they adore the sport, and they get so excited every four years about the Americans. Get so excited, like this is our year. It's gonna come together. Yes, USA, USA. And then they play in the World Cup, and then it's yeah, just not not so much. They let Wales draw with them yesterday. Really, (laughs) really. Oh, man. And now the only thing they have to do, go out there and get some points against England on Friday. We'll see how that goes. But we're going to start off talking about the Monday Night Football game. 49ers are one of those teams that feels like they're starting to come together. It's one of those teams because of the experience they have on the roster that could win the NFC. They, they just they just are. They have Elijah Mitchell back, the former Raging Cajun star. He's back from injury. They traded for Christian McCaffrey. They're using both of those running backs coming out of the backfield. They got Bosa back. And even though they lost their young second-year quarterback, guess what? They still had a guy on the roster that has – a ton of playoff experience under his belt and an offensive minded coach. And they have a very, they've done a very good job with their roster and they started off slow. Like a lot of people did, but now that they're getting healthy and they've made some trades, it feels like that San Francisco could be one of those teams that could make a run because no one in the NFC looks all that dominant, right? We saw Minnesota get crushed by Dallas. A little bit of the inexperience of the head coach with the play calling played a role. Dallas has a great defense, but then we also seen Dallas struggle as well. So Minnesota, Dallas, Does anyone really kind of scare you? Philly had its hands full, losing a game and then turning around and needing a dramatic play to beat a, let's be honest, a mediocre Indianapolis Colts team with a guy who never coached before. The NFC feels open to me. And even though San Francisco may not have the record those other teams do, as they only improved to 6-4 and four with last night's 38-10 victory in Mexico City. They feel like a team that's starting to come together. Like I said, they're a veteran team. They have a ton of playoff experience. And when Jimmy G doesn't turn over the ball, they usually have a great chance of winning the ball game. And they took advantage last night of some injuries. No DeAndre Hopkins, no Kyler Murray for Arizona as the Cardinals looked lifeless, managing only 10 points as they dropped to 4-7 and on the season. But Jimmy G was, well, magnificent. 20-29, 228 yards, four touchdowns, no picks, no sacks. 
He had a rating of 131.9, which I'm going to go out on a limb and, and assume is good. Elijah Mitchell led the 49ers on the ground. Nine carries for 59 yards. But what I like out of San Francisco is the fact that they're so balanced with the run game. They rushed for 159 yards, averaging 5.7 yards a pop in this ball game, and not a single person had double-digit carries. The former Erath High and UL star led the way with the amount of carries and yardage, but Christian McCaffrey had seven carries. Debo Samuel they used with three carries and the touchdown. He's a weapon. So they got Jimmy G at quarterback. They got Debo. They got Christian McCaffrey. They got Elijah Mitchell. They got some playmakers, man. They got George Kittle, even though he's somewhat kind of maybe on the back end. He was still good enough to get two touchdown catches last night. So they got a couple running backs. They got a wide receiver that can also line up at running back and do great dynamic things. They got a tight end. They got pieces. They have the pieces needed. And defensively, they're starting to get healthier. Bosa's back. He's a dominant player when he's healthy. And once again, it feels like the NFC is just wide open. Oh, and San Francisco's starting to come together, and San Francisco's starting to get healthy. Just in the nick of time for the Saints to come to town. Ugh. Not awesome. And the Saints have always traditionally struggled with San Fran. It's an old school rivalry game. But when you look at the standings, and you look at the teams that could make some noise, Obviously, we think of the Eagles, even though they needed a miracle to escape Indianapolis to improve to 9-1. and one. Cowboys 7-3, and three, Giants 7-3, and three, Minnesota 8-2. and two. Whatever garbage can comes out of the NFC South. And then San Fran 6-4, Seahawks 6-4. 49ers have won three straight games. 49ers could easily win the NFC. They really could. Because Philly is, look, there's not a dominant team in the NFL this season. Everyone is vulnerable. Everyone has some sort of weakness. They just do. And as as good as Philly has looked, You're starting to see a few chinks in the armor there, right? Dallas's defense is there. It's just their offense is so inconsistent. Minnesota has looked good. But then the inexperience as the head coach and as good as Kirk Cousins has looked this season, we know he's limited. Of all the teams that I just mentioned... Which team has the most playoff experience? Which team has the most experience, period? Which team was aggressive at the trade deadline? 
of San Francisco. Just saying, watch out for the 49ers. And just not because they trounced the lifeless Cardinals last night. Now, you've If you've been paying attention, you've noticed San Francisco starting to turn a corner. And look, we still have what? Seven games, six games to go? Still plenty of season left. But I like San Francisco's chances of winning the NFC. Of course, they first got to get through the team that they have to face on Sunday afternoon, the New Orleans Saints. And speaking of the Saints, we'll talk about them next. Hear from them next. You're listening to The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, man, if you're looking for great stocking stuff or ideas for this upcoming holiday season, look no further than the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. As a member of our rewards club, you're going to have the opportunity to score yourself some excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen, also located inside Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. But you can only score those great stocking stuffers by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Take some time out today. It's free. It's simple. Go sign up today. That way you'll have the opportunity to score yourself some great stocking stuffers. Look, we want to help you this holiday season. Let us help you. Help us help you. New Orleans Saints are going to need some help. Lots of it. They got a win on Sunday. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. They beat up the Rams. It's always a good thing. But this team is yet to prove that they can win two games in a row. Because they haven't done it yet. Win the opener, dramatic fashion, over Atlanta. Lose the next three. Beat Seattle. Lose the next two. Beat Las Vegas. Lose the next two. Beat Los Angeles. What's up next? Well, a trip to San Francisco to take on the 49ers, who are 6-4, and four, look like they're ascending in the NFC. They got Elijah Mitchell back. They got Christian McCaffrey in the trade. They still have Debo Samuel. They got George Kittle. They have a ton of offensive weapons that that defense may have its hands full come Sunday in Santa Clara. Yes, the 49ers play in Santa Clara, which is a different town, city, than San Francisco. Welcome to the era of massive stadiums that are located in cities that they don't represent. (laughs) Something that's always bothered me. You know, when I go to the Dome, I know I'm in New Orleans. I'm not in Hammond, right? Okay, just saying. Just, Just saying, just throwing it out there. 
you know, when I go to a Texans game, it's in Houston. It's not in Sugarland. Just pointing it out. It's not that hard. It's really not. But to be fair, the Jets and the Giants both play in New Jersey, which is an entirely different state, by the way. <sighs> I know. Grumpy old man. Get off my lawn. All right. I'm done. Saints, though, can they make it two in a row? Man, nothing would fire up the old fan base more than going on the road and taking down the 49ers, the cheaters, the old school hated rival of the members of the black and gold nation. Who that nation? But can they? Well, offensive line is going to be key in this ballgame because I already told you, Bosa's back for San Francisco. He's a menace. And San Fran's got a lot of dudes on that side of the ball, in particular on their front seven, that can wreak havoc. Now, the Saints were forced to go with three different, three new starting offensive linemen in Sunday's game against the Rams. They had Young out there, the second-year kid out of Kentucky, playing left tackle. They had Andrews lining up at left guard. I mean, they were mixing, matching across the board due to injuries across the offensive line. What can they do? Can they sustain that? Can they build off of that, in particular as an offensive line unit? unit? Well, Ryan Ramchek, he's healthy. He anchors that offensive line. Always in the discussion as being one of the best right tackles in the NFL. And the Saints starting right tackle talked about, just for their perspective, just how productive a ball game Sunday's win over the Rams was. I think it was a, a productive game for us. Um, you know, obviously there's a couple things here and there, um, you know, that we gave up. We would have liked to to done better, do better. Um, but you know, overall, I think, you know, I think we played a pretty physical game, and um, overall, you know, we were able to run the ball, um, you know, at, at times when it counted, and um, you know, I think overall we did a pretty good job. They were able to run the football. They were able to utilize Taysom Hill, Alvin Kamara, and others in the run game. And they did a nice job. Look, they still had Aaron Donald to deal with on the other side of the football. And you're throwing in guys like Young and Andrews out there having to deal with that monster. They held their own. That's a good sign, especially a good sign for the depth of this offensive line moving forward next year and beyond. That these guys that you're being able to thrust into the starting lineup are able to hold their own. That's all you really ask, right? When it comes to a backup, especially a backup offensive lineman, the only thing you can ask is that they just hold their own. You're not asking them to be a franchise left tackle. You're just saying, hey, can you do a good enough job that way our quarterback isn't murdered? That's really what you're asking for from the backup offensive tackles. And one of those, of course, is Landon Young, second-year player out of Kentucky. And Ramchek talked about, you know, gave his thoughts, his reaction of what he saw from the young man's performance on Sunday. You know, he's done a good job preparing this this whole year, you know, if his number ever gets called. Um, but, you know, he's played, um, I think, a little bit more right tackle than left. Um, you know, so he, he, he did a good job preparing this week. And, um, 
you know, going out there and competing. Um, you know, overall, I think he did. He played fairly well. He's pre- played primarily right tackle backing up Ramchek when Ryan's been banged up a little bit or had to, you know, give him a breather in a game. And the difference is immense having to switch from right to left with a right-handed quarterback, left side is the blind side. That's the one that's the most important because that's the one that's going to bring the most dominant pass rushers from the other team. So it's a different, you pop up, you know, a little bit differently. You got different responsibilities, different caliber of player coming at you, trying to bull rush you. I thought Landon Young did a very nice job Sunday dealing with that, being thrust into, hey, we need you to play left tackle. Oh, yay. You know, we talk about it all the time. Because of fantasy football, because of the way we digest the NFL these days in the last, really, last 15, 20 years, it's all about the quarterback, right? It's all about the quarterback. We love the quarterback. Love talking about the quarterback. Quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. The guys up front don't do their job. Quarterback can't do his. That's been the story of football since the beginning of time. But what always helps an offense is to be balanced. What always helps the quarterback out is to be able to run the ball effectively. And we sometimes lose sight of that. And Ramchak made sure to remind everyone just how important it is to be able to run the football effectively. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when you look at, you know, time of possession, um, I think that's a huge statistic in, in winning games and being able to control, um, you know, what you want to control. And, um, you know, being able to run the ball is, is, is a huge part of, you know, our offense and, and being able to continue um, holding on to the ball and, and having that time of possession. Um, and then it also, you know, can open up different things too so uh yeah so there you go got to be able to do both and sometimes we forget that and sometimes to be perfectly honest with you uh play callers in the nfl forget about that well we got a quarterback let's just throw 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 that's not how it really works got to be able to keep the defense honest so to speak be able to effectively run the football you don't need to put up monster numbers you don't need to rush for 225 yards a game just got to be able to be effective with the ground game, be able to pick up some short yardage first downs, and keep the defense honest. If you do that, you have a more balanced offense, and you're going to win a lot of football games. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll talk LSU football, hear from Brian Kelly, the man in charge of the Tigers. What a great job he's done in year one. Oh, and also unveil the poll question of the day. It's about the college football playoff rankings. That's all coming up next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Helpful tip for a tremendous Thanksgiving, number one. Don't drop a fully frozen turkey into the deep fryer. So please do us all a favor and don't blow up your house this Thanksgiving. This helpful tip brought to you by your family at the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
No, I don't think they give you any ticket take parades or anything that's, uh, but you know, 10, 10 wins, you know, is certainly a benchmark, I think, and when people look back on seasons, you know, I think it does a lot in terms of um, solidify your, you know, your postseason opportunities. I think it puts you in a different category. Um, but I don't think you go into the season going, hey, we got to get to 10. Uh, I think you go into the season thinking about, you know, winning the SEC West. Uh, this is an important football game because we want to continue to get better as a football team as we go into uh, the SEC West championship game. So it's important for us because each week for us is we're, we're building something within our program. As I mentioned, the UAB game may not have been as important to other people outside the walls, but inside the walls, that was a huge game for us in terms of, you know, doing our job, you know, the way the job needs to be done, when it needed to be done, and, and that was really important for us. That was a, that was a big hurdle for us, and, and this is another one. It's going on the road against a really talented team that has nothing to lose, and you have to play well because they will play up to you. So I think we just think more terms of As Brian Kelly, LSU head football coach, talking about is there a significance or not to get to 10 wins on the season? And talking about just how dangerous an opponent Texas A&M is. I'm not concerned about the Tigers not being prepared for Saturday's game, which of course you can listen to right here on the game. Six o'clock kick, four o'clock pregame, live from College Station. Because I think they got the scare out of them against Arkansas. They were banged up, a little under the weather. They found themselves in an absolute dogfight against the Razorbacks up in chilly, cold conditions. A team desperate to get a win. They were able to pull it out. And I think that is the late season scare that this team needed. Because you saw them come out focused, fired up to take on UAB. I'm not concerned about them going into College Station. They know that Texas A&M, that this is their bowl game. They understand that this is the only thing A&M has left to play for because they're not going to a bowl game. They got nothing. They're a desperate team with a desperate head coach. Guys entering the transfer portal before the season has even stopped, has even ended. Guys already making that announcement like, I'm done, man. I'm out. See you, Jimbo. That's a team that's got nothing to lose. And that makes them absolutely dangerous. But I think you're going to see a focus LSU team. I truly do. I think you are. Now, this game falls, of course, on Thanksgiving weekend. And that means there's going to be disruptions this week with guys being out of school because of the Thanksgiving holiday. Then you also have the actual holiday itself on Thursday. So what type of challenges are they with game planning during a holiday week? I think the same, you know, challenges on the road, you know, are there for you. Um, Thursday we handle a little bit different you know, we'll practice in the morning, um, but uh, we'll have Thanksgiving dinner together. We'll bring the coaches' families in. The players will be with us um, and, and share Thanksgiving together. Uh, we'll release all of the 
non-travel players after practice in the morning so they can be with their families. And, and then really from there it just becomes a normal Friday for us where we'll have meetings at noon and then you know board the plane around 3 or 4 o'clock and get into College Station around 6 o'clock. So then it just becomes business as usual. It's just the Thursday really. Thursday is going to be the one day that's going to be a little bit unpredictable, a little bit different, if you will. That's what Kelly's telling you because of Thanksgiving, Turkey Day. Now, LSU's got some guys that are a little banged up that haven't been 100%. One of those guys is Dellinger, and he gave us an update on how he and the staff are trying to work him back into the lineup, working back into the game plan. Yeah, so Dellinger got some playing time. I thought he contributed nicely to the rotation, uh, playing at the guard position. As you know, we started Martinez uh, at the center position. I thought he did a nice job. Um, and and uh, again, I think you know Dellinger's best position is and more comfortable at the guard position than he is at the center position. So we'll continue. Of course, Dellinger broke his hand earlier in the season. So that's been the injury that's kind of slowed him down. They thought he'd be back sooner. Obviously, it kind of slowed him down in his recovery time. He's a more natural fit at guard. But if you're LSU and the young man, he's only a sophomore, you want to get him some playing time. You got him some playing time this past weekend against UAB. You can get him some playing time. You don't have to rush him because you're going to need him for the SEC championship game. You'll need him for the bowl game more than likely, which will be the Sugar Bowl against Kansas State. That's what all the latest projections have for the LSU Tigers. So they're trying to incorporate Dellinger more in, but you don't want to rush it if you don't need to, right? You want to take your time here. You don't want to have to rush him back and maybe put him in a position that he's not ready for that his body's not ready for, in particular his hand's not ready for. You know, he took over this program, a program in disarray, which is why Brian Kelly's been mentioning, has been mentioned as a strong candidate for coach of the year. This team played in a bowl game with a wide receiver at quarterback, had 39 scholarship players. Disarray, back-to-back awful seasons following the national title season. And Kelly's done a very nice job with the NCAA transfer portal, with signing kids right out of high school, putting together a team, getting this this team to believe, getting this team to buy into his philosophy. And they have improved throughout the course of the season. You've seen them take steps in the spring, then fall camp, then against Florida State, a game that they lost that they should have won and seen them get better week after week after week. And even when they had the setback, when Tennessee came into Tiger Stadium and smacked them around, because that's what happened, they bounced back. Got themselves a win, got back on track. And here they are, SEC West champs, going to go to Atlanta to take on Georgia. And a win over Georgia in the SEC championship game two weeks from Saturday, well, that gets them to the college football playoff. But anytime you see a program ascend this way, anytime you see a program, the players buy into the new coach's philosophy, there's usually guys that step up in leadership roles. Guys that just thrive. Now, sometimes they're leaders from the previous regime, but sometimes they're new guys that just feel comfortable in that leadership role with the new coach. 
And Kelly talked about has anyone really emerged in that capacity? Well, as you know, we, we break our team into uh, SWAT leaders, and we rotate that throughout the entire football team. Uh, I've never been really a believer that there's just three or four captains, and they just, uh, that's it. I, I like roving leaders. I, li- I like that to come from all forms, from freshmen, sophomores, juniors. For example, some of our great leaders have been, you know, Makai Wingo, who's a transfer from Missouri, who's just a sophomore. Uh, but we've gotten great leadership from, you know, veteran seniors as well, and, and Mike Jones, who's, you know, not even in a starting position right now, but means a lot to our football team. So I think it's important that everybody serves some kind of leadership role to get true accountability across the board. And, and so that's kind of been, for me, how you build that accountability and discipline, that personal discipline, uh, when you share it throughout the entire football. I like that approach especially when you're taking over a program, the more guys you have that are going to serve as leaders for your team, the better off you're going to be of reestablishing the right culture. If you're dependent on one or two guys, sometimes those guys can be, I don't know, kind of silenced. Their voices can become white noise, if that makes any sense. But if you have guys on multiple levels, seniors, sophomores, freshmen, juniors, it doesn't matter guys that are backups, guys that are starters. If if you're taking the Brian Kelly approach and you have half a dozen to maybe 10 guys that are serving as the quote-unquote leaders of your team, everyone's going to be taken care of. And there's going to be somebody that is going to be able to be relatable for one of the players. Because sometimes the quarterback may speak as the quote-unquote leader and the defensive lineman be like, I don't care what you have to say. You're not, you know, on my side of the football. You're the quarterback. But sometimes that linebacker that's been part of the program for a couple of years can speak up, and you'll pay attention because that's that's your brother, right? That's your guy in the front seven. So having multiple guys like Kelly has is immensely smart and could explain why they've done such a nice job with responding to what he wants them to do as a team. Now, you heard Kelly mention it. It's going to be a dangerous team. They have nothing to lose. Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher's been coaching a long time. And he and Brian Kelly have faced off a few times over the years during their coaching careers. And Kelly was asked, how does it feel preparing for another matchup with the man who, you know, LSU fans wanted to be the head coach not once but twice? Always talented. Uh, he's obviously a great recruiter and he's – He's talented. Uh, he's had talented football teams uh, every year that I've gone against him. Um, again, the, the the calling card has always been um, outstanding offenses, uh, the ability to um, you know play aggressive defense, and just good football teams. You know, they've always been great games, um, and look forward to a. a- so they're looking forward to that matchup against Texas A&M in Jimbo Fisher. That'll be happening Saturday in College Station. Kickoff set for 6 o'clock. Pre-game begins at 4 o'clock. Of course, you can listen to it all right here on the game. You're home for the LSU Tigers. Speaking of those Tigers, where will they end up tonight once the college football playoff rankings are unveiled? With Tennessee getting throttled by South Carolina, 
they're done. Now, it lists one less team to have to worry about. And even though Baylor gave a scare to TCU and Illinois gave a scare to Michigan and UCLA gave a scare to USC, all those teams won. So your top four will be the same. It'll be Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU. Who should the new number five team be now that Tennessee's out of the picture? Some of you would think LSU's just going to simply move up to that spot to number five. I personally think it's going to be USC. They bumped up in the polls above LSU. USC is a brand. LSU is a brand. I have a feeling that it's going to be USC. Because here's the thing, if you're LSU, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if you're five or six. Because if you win your game on Saturday, and then you go into Atlanta and you beat Georgia, you're in. SEC champion will be in. So if you're at five or six, it doesn't matter. You're going to be in. That's how it's going to work. So it really doesn't do anything. Now, if you have USC at five, and let's say they beat Notre Dame this week, and then they beat Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game, then USC is getting in as a one-loss conference champion. That's how that's going to work. Clemson, who Doug brought up last week, I feel like because of losses, Clemson's now put itself in a position that it's going to have an outside shot. What hurts the Tigers, Dabo's boys, is that North Carolina lost to an unranked team over the weekend. And that's their opponent in the ACC title game. Plus, Clemson's still got to get past South Carolina, who apparently has erupted and has figured out how to play football as they crush Tennessee over the weekend. But really, LSU, USC, our poll question of the day is, who deserves to be ranked number five in tonight's college football playoff rankings? Is it USC? Is it LSU? Is it Clemson? 76% of you say LSU, 24% say USC. John Paul Cajun Daddy says LSU and only because their body of work is better than the other's body of work. Number six, USC, better body of work than number seven, Clemson. The unranked teams that LSU has played are infinitely better than the unranked played by USC and Clemson. Good morning. Ralph on Twitter also says, meanwhile, in the college football playoff committee room, let's take a secret look at the polling process. <laughs> it's rock, paper, scissors, gif. Yeah. Look, there's so many different scenarios that could happen the last couple weeks. Starting this weekend. USC-Notre Dame's a huge game. Michigan-Ohio State's a huge game. And then we got championship weekend the weekend after, so. Gotta love college football, don't you? Once again, poll question of the day. Who deserves to be ranked number five in tonight's college football playoff rankings? USC, LSU, Clemson, go vote. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. It's a holiday week. Come on now. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll wrap up our number one. You're listening to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Oh, here in Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface. Sometimes multiple lines are in one area. So look, if you are a contractor that you've hired is digging a hole to put in a new fence, a brand new pool, 
or any other reason, you run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. What happens then? Maybe only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year, and there's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, call 811. Call 811 two days before you dig. Tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple. It's free of charge, and it's the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service and to promote public safety. Louisiana 811 and the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles reminds you call 811 and know it's below before you dig. Poll question of the day who deserves to be ranked number five in tonight's college football playoff rankings? USC, LSU, Clemson. Overwhelmingly, you guys say LSU with 76% of the vote. JPK, the OD, though, says USC, and that's coming from a diehard LSU fan. Take care of business with AM. Then the real test is Georgia. If you beat them, then you really did something to deserve number four and a playoff berth. Brad on Twitter says, LSU does, but the media dirtbags want SC. They'll use the one-loss excuse to put them there. Woo-hoo, saltiness. Saltiness from Brad. Dang, man. Dang, keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming on our poll question of the day. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two, we'll kick it off with former STM Cougar and McNeese star Trevor Beggy. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything. Everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Welcome back to RP3 and Company right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. The percentages of football players that are stars in high school that are able to make it to college, be a star there, and then make it to the professional ranks is slim to none. You actually have a better chance of winning the Mega Millions jackpot this holiday season. But our next guest, well, he's proving that it can be done if you put in the work, if you don't give up the faith and just keep the grind going. He was a star player at STM for Coach Jim Hightower. He'd go on to play for both the McNeese Cowboys and the Incarnate Word football programs. And now he is signed with the Edmonton Elks of the Canadian Football League. It's our privilege to welcome back to the show Trevor Beggy. Good morning, brother. How are you? Oh, thank you so much. It's, uh, it's actually kind of crazy to hear you, uh, you, you uh, read my journey and how everything that I've been through and all that stuff. So, you know, I'm just blessed. It's an honor. Um, you know, the, I'm just blessed to you know be back uh, talking to you it's uh, always good to talk to you again so it's just it's just a blessing all around let's go back when you were playing for you know coach hightower did you ever imagine there would be a scenario where a few years down the road you'd be gearing up to play in the canadian football league no i i really i, I didn't i didn't see this in, in my mind you know it's always me and my dad have always talked about you know obviously everyone wants to go to the nfl but you know the CFL and all those other leagues that are coming about. We've always talked about it, but you know I just can never. I, I, I could see it in my future, but it's just hard. It's hard to wrap your mind around it. But uh, it's funny that you bring up Coach Jim Hightower. I've actually uh, 
this past uh, this past football season, I've been training. I've been training, but I've also been coaching at STM with Coach Jim Hightower this past year for for the high school season. So it's uh, it's been good to just kind of everything's been kind of coming around full circle. So I've uh, I've actually been enjoying coaching this past year, and uh, but I definitely am ready to go up to Canada and uh, start playing some football again. Your college experience consisted of two different programs in the same conference. I know it was a bit up and down at McNeese, but I know you learned a lot during your time there. And then you were able to learn even more by going to Incarnate Word where you were able to be granted that extra year of eligibility due to the COVID-19 pandemic. What are the big takeaways that you have for playing for both of those programs in the Southland Conference? My time at McNeese was uh, was great, man. I uh... You know, obviously, I spent five years there. Um, I got my degree there. It was, uh, I would say, my McNeese, my career at McNeese was up and down. You know, I had four head coaches in five years there at McNeese, so you know, wasn't really, uh, it wasn't stable, I guess you could say. It was, uh, you know, had had up and down. You know, just up and down years. It's, it's hard when a new coach comes in; they try to change everything, and you know, they want their guys in there. So, uh, I would say I learned at McNeese just how to how to persevere and you know how to play. How to be uncomfortable in uncomfortable situation, un- uh, comfortable in uncomfortable situations. So uh, that's what I think I learned there. I just learned, I, you know, I, I don't feel nervous really anymore with different coaches. So that's why I feel like I learned from McNeese, and you know, I got my degree from there. Nothing but love for them. You know, I made a lot of touchdowns, made a lot of great plays, met some great people over there. So nothing but love from there. But um, transferring in Corner Word, man, what a what a great move by uh, by me to do that. Um, I had that extra year of COVID, like you said. So I. Uh, you know, I just felt I felt like I needed a change, and you know, I just needed a new scenery, change of scenery. So I moved on to San Antonio, and uh, met some great people there. I played with a great quarterback. His name is his name is Cam Ward. He's actually at Washington State right now. Um, a great player, kind of like Mahomes. He, he just he was he was an unbelievable player. So I, I got to play in a high tempo style offense, something that I didn't run at McNeese. So I think it was just a great change of scenery. I got to li- move out of Louisiana for the first time and live in Texas. So that helped me kind of you know get get away from home and meet new people. So I feel like now going to Canada, now it's going to be just smooth sailing because I've already done it before. So uh, I learned two, uh, I learned a lot of things from two great programs, but uh, it all worked out how I was supposed to work out. You go undrafted in the spring, but you quickly get an opportunity to experience what it's like to be part of an NFL franchise and a really good one. The Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, head coach Andy Reid, they sign you as an undrafted rookie free agent. What did you learn from that experience? What was your biggest takeaway, so to speak, your time spent in Kansas City? Yeah, um, wow. What a, you know, I have so many stories. I could keep you on here for a while, but just to, just to see how – just how how the how the NFL operates, you know, it's um it's a very business like operation. Um, but just to see those guys like Coach Andy Reid, they're they're normal people just like you know we are. You know, I think the media and all that ESPN and Sports Center makes it out to that they're some kind of freakish human beings, but they're just like just like us. You know, they they do the same thing. And at the end of the day, it's just football. You know, me and Coach Andy Reid were talking after a play one time, and I just I was looking at him, and I was like, man, I just can't believe that like I'm standing in front of him. You know, the the great Andy Reid. You know, but it. It was just just to be around there, man, and just to you know be in the meeting rooms and talking to Coach Eric Bieniemy, who's the you know who's the mastermind behind the offensive coordinator position. Um, just being in the meetings and hearing them talk about football, you know, at the end of the day, it's football. You know, it's X's and O's. It's football. It's just about you know going out there and doing your best. So the whole experience was just was just amazing, and I'll you know I'll forever be grateful. And hopefully, you know, obviously, you know, hopefully Canada goes great, and I eventually get back, you know, get back there. You know, sooner than later so uh i felt like i put my best foot forward i made some plays out there you know it was cool going against you know i was going against a first round draft pick um 
He's from Washington. I can't remember. Is that Christian uh, Christian McDuffie? I think his name is. And it, you know, it was just just cool to see how you know just that level of talent out there. Uh, but I fit right in though. I felt like I wasn't you know too far behind or too far in front. I felt like I fit right in, and it was just just a great experience. So I'll never uh, I'll never forget those memories. We're talking with Trevor Beggy, former STM Cougar, Nice football star, incarnate word football star, and a man who recently signed with the Edmonton Elks of the Canadian Football League, where he's going to look to make an impact. Let's go back. They part ways with you in Kansas City. How did you deal with that disappointment, and how did you not let yourself get too down about it, Trevor, and, and remain positive and keep grinding and keep preparing for an opportunity? I thought I was going to sign with them. I was, uh, I did really well, man. But you know, it's just it's in the NFL. You know, it's just top. It's the elite of the elite. And not saying that I wasn't deserving of it or anything, or that I didn't do enough. It's just it's all about roster spots. They only have a certain amount. So you know, I was just on the short end of the stick on that. But I once I left Kansas City, man, it, it opened my eyes. Like I can really play. You know, I, I told myself I can play at this level. So my agent, we just kept talking. He's like, man, you know, I know you. You know. It didn't work out in Kansas City, but there's other leagues out there. So I need you, basically, I need you to stay up. I need you to keep training, and there's going to be an opportunity. I'm not sure if it's in the NFL or whatever, but there will be an opportunity there for you. So um, I, I just kept training, and I told you earlier, I started coaching at STM this past year. That that really helped me, you know, kind of get around the game again, you know, because it gets kind of it's tough when you just work out and you you're like, is this, you know, is this is, is it worth it, you know? Because I didn't I didn't know if I was going to ever play again, to be honest with you. So I started coaching with STM this past year, man, just to be around those kids and be around the STM program again, kind of really uplifted my spirits again. And uh, so I have to give a lot of credit to them. They uh, they helped me through a lot. The kids helped me through a lot. Um, so and, and the opportunity presented itself, and now I'm going to Canada. So, you know, it's just it, it didn't work out obviously as quick as I wanted to, but it worked out. So um, just, stay, just stay in the course, man, keeping the dream alive, stay in the course, and uh, good things will happen, and it did. So now, you know, I have this opportunity. Now i got to go up there and, and do what i got to do. Tell me, how did you get the opportunity? Did you have to go work out for them up in Canada? Was it done here? How did that uh, all come to be? And and why did you decide that the Edmonton Elks were the right team for you? So it's uh, kind of funny. In the football, well, obviously in life too in general, but in the football world, it's kind of about, it's not really about what you know, it's about who you know. So my uh, my old teammate at Incarnate Word is, is named Kevin Brown. I actually did my, tra- my pro day with him. He signed with the Edmonton Elks last season, did well. So my name got brought up, and he kind of talked well about me. So that was one instance. My agent played for the head coach at Edmonton. Um, so he, we had a, you know, I guess he, he you know, he, he, he talked well about me too on that. So I knew two people in the, you know, the Edmonton knew two people that were really close to me and that, that they talked well about me. And uh, obviously my pro day, my pro day, I killed my pro day. My 40-yard dash was great. Pro agility, all that was good. And then my Kansas City film. I was able to get some can- my film from Kansas City to, to send to them. So I did not do a workout. I did not do a workout. It was based off of word of mouth and them, me sending my highlights to them and just their comfortability, comfort, comfortability with me. So, no, I did not do a workout. Um, I was able to just you know, to secure, to secure a spot just based off of my film and what I've, uh, what I've, what I've been able to do uh, through my college career and through Kansas City. Well, that's amazing, brother. It's so good to catch up with you. Congratulations on getting the opportunity there in the Canadian Football League. You know all of Acadiana will be rooting for you. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family, bud. Thank you so much for the time. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. It was always always good to talk to you. Happy Thanksgiving to you, too.
Thanks again to Trevor Beggy, former STM Cougar McNeese Incarnate Word Star, for joining us here on RP3 and Company. Wish him nothing but the best of luck. Hey, you already know that your Alexa and your Google Home speaker helps out around your home. It allows you to control your lights, your thermostats, and so much more. But did you know they can also play the game? That's right. Your favorite sports talk station is right there. Just ask your Alexa or your Google Home to play the game, Southwest Louisiana. That's the game, Southwest Louisiana. It's that easy. So do the smart thing and have the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles with you at your office, your home, and everywhere you may go. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company, though, coming up right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. 180! What's up? Raging Cajuns head football coach Michael Desimo joins RP3 and company to talk all things Vermillion and White. It's time for hashtag UL Culture with Coach Des. Good morning, Coach. Happy Thanksgiving early to you and your family, brother. How are you this morning? I'm doing well, Ryman. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Well, let's get right to it because I know the final score is not what you were hoping for, what your staff was hoping for, and what your team was hoping for. But what stood out to me about this ball game, a positive, was the way the team fought, especially there in the fourth quarter. You shut out the Seminoles in the fourth quarter. You were able to put together a couple touchdown drives. Your kids kept fighting. They didn't give up. Was that the big kind of big positive takeaway you took out of Saturday's trip to Tallahassee? Yeah, I mean, I mean that's the biggest thing for sure. You know, you, you've always got to pull some positives out of out of every game that you play, and uh, you know, and sometimes it's hard to find them because you really got to look. But um, that was definitely a bright spot for us. You know. That game certainly didn't go the way we thought it was going to go. Um, we knew they were really good. We we thought we could go out there and we could go keep it close, and hopefully we could. Uh, you know, the plan for us was we felt like if we could kind of make them earned all the way down the field, and we could string some drives together early, um, and eat up some clock, that we could keep it manageable at halftime. And you know, we knew that wasn't the type of game they wanted to be in. Uh, but certainly, they started really fast on offense, um, and then for us offensively, you know, we went three and out to start with the first drive, then I think five or six plays, it just wasn't enough. So, you know, our team, I think all year has shown some resilience and they've shown some grit and character. And, uh, you know, Saturday was no different. And and I I was certainly proud of them for that because, you know, I mean, you're sitting there at the end of the first half before we got that last drive together and actually finally put some points on the board. You you know, there wasn't a whole lot of positive things that had happened so far. So, um, you know, we really needed to finish the game playing a lot better than we did to start with uh, to try to, you know, get some momentum and get some positives to build off of going into next week. And we, and we were able to do that a little bit at the very end. Give me your uh, review, if you will, or your thoughts on Chandler Fields, his performance being thrust back into the starting lineup and having to do so on the road. He, he seemed to be a little nervous maybe early on in this ball game, but he settled down, and once he did, he was able to make some nice throws, especially there in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, I think that's a pretty fair assessment. Um, I thought all night he did a good job making decisions in the throw game, especially the RPOs. When the ball had to be thrown um, versus when the box was right to run it, um, 
early, you know, probably the first quarter and a half, maybe, you know, he was just, you know, probably just a little bit nervous, excited, kind of whatever it is. And, uh, you know, it was over, overthrew a couple of them, you know, kind of let a couple of them rip and, and got it passed and give our guys a chance. But then I thought really in the second quarter, I thought was whenever he started to settle in, he started dropping some balls on them, um, you know, continued to make good decisions. And, you know, the thing that I was happy to see was him extend some plays with his feet, you know, pick up some yards that way and really, uh, you know, kind of settle in and play his game a little bit as the game went on. So, uh, you know, I expected there to be some nerves. I mean, he hadn't, I mean, the guy hadn't been a starter, you know, for a while since he got hurt um, in the South Al game, you know, and he really hadn't played. So, uh, you know, I expected there to be a little bit of rust. You understand that, um, you know, especially just as much game time as he had missed. But I, I was I was proud of him and pleased with the way he played. And, um, you know, we need him to continue to play well for us to have a chance to win. How important is it for him to kind of, get over those nerves yet find a way to kind of push through it settle down and start making some good throws and playing well late in that ball game especially with you guys having to go on the road again to a a, a pretty good texas state team in san marcos on saturday well i mean the thing that you hope is you hope that you know getting back in the mix and kind of getting his feet wet again and going out there and and playing you know really well in the second half you know you got to hope that 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 breeds some confidence in him again because, you know, that's the thing with Chandler. Whenever he's playing with a lot of confidence, uh, you know, he's really played well for us at times this year. So that's what you need, you know, just for him to, to be a confident player going into this thing at Texas State on Saturday. Um, you know, you talk to – yeah, I mean, their defense is – they are. They have a really good defense and they play um, – you know, they play tough. They play physical. They do a lot of different stuff on defense. It's a little different. You know, Florida State was schematically um, – not as difficult, you know, obviously they had some elite players in positions, but, you know, Texas State is going to be extremely multiple. Um, they're going to bring pressures from every different place, and the quarterback has to play well and make good decisions um, and keep the ball out of jeopardy, really. Coach, another player that kind of stood out to me against some really good top-end cornerbacks is Jefferson. Uh, man, he – bodied him up he got physical with those dbs and he's really kind of had a a breakout season far more consistent week in week out he's really kind of become one of the if not the most reliable wide receiver you have just talk about his progression that he that you've been able to see as his coach well you know i think you know first of all you know it comes down to the work that's done um and not just not just Michael, you know. I mean, MJ has a tremendous work tremendous work ethic, but Coach Leger has done a really good job with MJ. Um, you know, just teaching the kid loves to learn. He, he wants to know everything there is about the position. He wants to know how he can improve, and then he's willing to work at it. And Coach Leger, you know, that's been a good fit for both of them um, having each other throughout this thing. Um, you know, last year when he got here. You know, he came here, he transferred in, and it didn't take very long. You could tell the guy was, was very talented. Um, but, you know, just really raw, still trying to figure out, still trying to learn the system. Um, and then last year, at the end of the year, when we were getting ready for the bowl game, kind of felt like he had turned the corner towards the end of the year, you know, the last three or four games. And getting ready for that bowl game, those practices, I mean, he was just 
on fire. And uh, so going into the off season, we felt like we could really uh, felt like we could really have something special with him this year with the progression that he had made. And you know, like I said, all he's done he's just he's just worked. He's done the work and he's done everything he's supposed to do. And he's a great teammate. He works just as hard in practice as he does in the game, um, and it shows up. We're talking with Coach Dez, the man in charge of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Let's talk about this team's mentality. You guys have had kind of a playoff mentality, playoff mindset for, what, I guess about a month now, which I would assume is going to serve you well, especially heading into this week. How do you feel like uh, your team is embracing this challenge of the regular season finale meaning so much a win gets you to be bowl eligible. A win gets you into a bowl game. That's pretty much what it boils down to, Coach. How do you feel like your team's mindset is this week? Yeah, I mean, they know what's at stake. And, um, you know, they showed up like they do every week on Sunday, ready to go to work. Um, you know, I, I, our guys, they have respect for this Texas State team. You know, we talked about, about these guys. You know, I mean, truthfully, Texas State probably feels a lot the same way about their season you know, that we do about ours, um, you know, probably dropped two, three, four games there that, you know, really that they shouldn't have, um, you know, and if, if that's the case, you know, you find a way to win those games. We're talking about a totally different scenario right now between the two of us. But, uh, you know, they are a good football team. Um, they do play complimentary football. You know, their defense has, has much improved. They're playing really, really well this year. People are having a very hard time running the football against them. Um and then on offense, you know, they, they've, they've protected the football for the most part. You know, and I think when their quarterback is playing really well and they've got all their receivers and weapons, um, they can spread the floor and they do some good things on offense. So, um, you know, our team knows that we're going to play a good football team. Uh, they know that they, they're going to show up and they're going to want to win. Um, we just we got to prepare better and we got to want it more when it comes down to it on game time. What's your message this week, it being the final week of the regular season? Really, what we talked about is this: this is this is the high school playoffs. It's just like when you're in high school. You know, if you win the game, you, you get to continue on. If you don't, there's nothing that can save you now. You know, so um, it, it's it's backs against the wall. You know, you got to find a way to go out there and go win. And um, you know, for us, I think I think for us, we respond well uh, whenever that. You know, whenever that's our kind of our mantra, and that's just kind of the way that it is, and that's the you know, that's the situation that we're in. Uh, but that's that's really what it is. You know, I mean, these guys, they know, what, they know what's at stake this week. Uh, they absolutely want to continue playing together. They want a bowl game. They want all those things. So, um, you know, they, they're going to be ready to go. You know, we're going we're to hook it up all week. We're going we're gonna to get ready to go out there and go play really well on Saturday and, and earn a bowl game. Has it hit you yet that this is the regular season finale for your first season as a head coach? Have you even allowed yourself to kind of think that way? Uh, no, not really. You know, because you, you're uh, you're preparing for this, and then you're you know, and in my mind, you know, it's getting ready for recruiting and, and a bowl game and how we're going to practice and um, you know how we're going to kind of split up those practices. You know, what bowl game you go to obviously depends on. Uh, on all that stuff, but, you know, just trying to get all those things together, uh, you know, just that it never stops, you know. So whenever we get to, to the evaluation period or the contact period, I'm sorry, in recruiting, you know, we got to have a plan to get out and get on the road and, 
Um, so we're just kind of working through all those things. And, um, you know, Texas State is, is the next one that we have, and, and we're, we're planning on going out there and going to win and getting a bowl game. How do you feel about this first season, or maybe what have you learned about being a head coach that maybe you didn't know when you first took over the job to this point, Coach? Uh, you know, I mean, there's always a lot of things that come with it that, uh, you know, your, your time schedule, as busy as you think it's going to be, it's a little bit little bit busier, a little bit tighter than what you thought. Um, you know, I think the one thing that you that I had to learn throughout the course of this year or what things need to be delegated and what things don't, um, you know, just in day-to-day stuff, you know I mean? Just kind of what kind of situations do you need to turn over to someone else to handle that can be managed and which ones should you as the head coach manage yourself. Uh, but, you know, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll reflect a little bit more as this season finishes up and wraps up and, um, you know, and look back on it. And, you know, from there I'll, uh, you know, I'll have some time to be able to do that. Right now we're still full go, full throttle, so. It's, uh, it's kind of eyes forward still right now. Uh, you know, the, the right answer would have been having to talk to some guy every week on a morning show. That would have been the thing that you didn't realize you had to do um, <laughs> and, and how much of a pain that was going to be. I'll get you out of here with an easy one, brother. Uh, Thanksgiving, obviously, is this week. Um, what's your go-to side dish when it comes to the Thanksgiving spread? And uh, what, what's the thing that you're most thankful for? I'll start with the easy one. Uh, I guess they're both easy for me, but uh, the side dish. So ever since I was in high school, my mom makes these. Uh, I don't really know. It's these cheese. It's like a cheesy potato, like a uh, casserole. I don't know what it is. It's like the frozen like potato cubes. Um, and I don't really know the whole deal, but I ask her to make it every year whenever she comes. That's the only time that I, that I, that I usually eat it all year is Thanksgiving and Christmas. So that's uh, that's one of my favorites. It's been my favorite for a long time. Um, you know, I think the thing that I'm most thankful for and grateful for, I, I just, you know, I have so many people in my life that have, uh, that have made me a better person. So many people in my life that have, have helped me to, you know, to get to where I am and, and, and help to influence me along the way. And, you know, I, I'll be honest with you, you know, I feel almost guilty sometimes because I, I feel like I'm so fortunate to have the things and the people in my life that I do, um, you know, sometimes, you, you know, you certainly feel like you don't deserve it. Uh, but, you know, the people in my life have just, you know, from family to friends to coaches to colleagues that I work with, um, to people that I work for, um, you know, I, I feel like God has just continued to put people in my life that have, you know, made an impact on me. And I'm, I'm grateful for that because, you know, sometimes you kind of can't control the circle that you, that you're, that you have to be around, that you have to work around, that you have to, you know, um, come into contact with every day. There are times you can't control that. And I'm just so grateful that, you know, the people that are in that circle that are close to me that, that kind of, you know, affect my day to day. Um, those people are all top notch. And, you know, I mean, that's from the players that, that, that we get to coach, um, to the people that I work with to, I mean, certainly my family, um, you know, Lindsay and the kids and, uh, I, I just I love Thanksgiving because I think it allows people to sit down and just think about what they are thankful for and not what they want and not be worried about what's coming up, what's next, what they want to do. You know, it's 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 all about just being reflective on 
you know, on, on the things that have been positive in your life. And, uh, you know, I'm, like I said, to me, it's all about the people and, and they've, the people in my life that have just, you know, pushed me along the way whenever I needed to be pushed, when it got hard, you know, when, when things weren't great that, you know, always were in my corner, um, you know, could never, uh, could never, never be, I guess, never thank them enough, really. Coach, well said, brother. And on a lighter note, it's probably a good thing you only eat your mom's potato casserole, cheesy casserole once a year, because if you ate it more than that, you'd be more shaped like me, brother, and you don't want that. You don't need that. Well, yeah, it, I, don't, I don't think it's I don't. It's on like the whole 30 approved or anything like that. I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's, that's not on any diet that there is. Oh, man. Uh, Coach, appreciate your time. As always, best of luck uh, this weekend on the road in San Marcos. And uh, thank you for your time, and happy Thanksgiving to you and your family, brother. Thank you, Raymond. I appreciate your time. Happy Thanksgiving to you all, too. That's Coach Des. That, that cheesy potato casserole thing, that sounds like, sounds good. Sounds good. I bet you, I bet you Coach Dez's mama makes it, makes it right. Just saying. Speaking of making things right, that's what my friends over at Lafayette Marble and Granite do every single day. Look, you know they offer the largest selection of granite quartz and marble in Acadiana, and they appreciate the opportunity to earn your business. Chris and his team do. Trust me on that. As you heard me tell you before, they provide more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens, bathrooms, and man caves. LMG also now has an extensive selection of custom shower builds with their grout-free shower line. That's right. No muss, no fuss, and no odor. Make sure to visit their website, lmgelite.com, to learn more about all the sensational services and tremendous products they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Visit lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com. Or stop by their soon-to-be-renovated showroom located on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford in the Jockey Lot. It's Lafayette Marble and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. we got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll update the poll question of the day, and we'll take your phone calls. Game hotline's open, 337-706-0111. You're listening to The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Helpful tip for a tremendous Thanksgiving number 37. If you're eating your weight in fixings, then make sure you're dressed appropriately. So pull out the stretchy pants this Thanksgiving. This helpful tip brought to you by your family at the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. One week. That's all that's left. One week until the one-year anniversary of Hannah Five Names as the producer extraordinaire for RP3 and Company. And footnotes, neither myself nor Hannah remembered what the actual start <laughs> date was. Had to look it up in the offer letter that I still had saved on my computer. Because yep. you had filled in as the uh producer yes before your actual technical start date so uh uh technically 
your one-year anniversary will be a week from today that you've been here in a full-time capacity. Now, of course, many of you knew her as a part-time producer. She also produced uh, First Cup on Saturdays. She also served as a, a, a board op. She was an intern, but one-year anniversary, one week away for her. Woo, woo, one way till the woman invaded the men's palace <laughs> and became queen. It became queen, she says. Woman wants to be the queen. I am. You, I made my own birthday post and I put that too. <laughs> I mean, you could have made the boys do that, but. They weren't going to remember to do that. That, that. Matt already said, yeah, you probably won't be doing it yourself. I said, well, did everybody else's. Why not my own? Oh, Miguez. <laughs> oh, bless them. That's all I got to say about that them. Guy. Them boys sometimes in the afternoons. I just shake my head and I go, oh, bless them. Bless them. Just bless them. Bless their hearts. Poll question of the day. Who deserves to be ranked number five in tonight's college football playoff rankings? Is it going to be USC? Should it be LSU or should it be Clemson? And I bring this up because it's interesting how things are going to be positioned. We know the top four will be the same as last week. Georgia, undefeated, defending national champs. Ohio State, two. Michigan, three. Michigan survives a scare from Illinois, but they have some guys banged up, which does not bode well for them, including their top two rushers. But the game, the game, Ohio State-Michigan, will be played Saturday morning. By the way, you can listen to that game Right here on the game. Ohio State, Michigan in the morning, and then LSU, AM in the evening. So you're going to have a 2 3 battle, and then TCU survives the scare as they are able to somehow get the field goal off before the clock expires to take down Baylor. But who's going to be five? And I think it's important here for positioning purposes. You could make the argument for USC. You could make the argument for LSU. If you're looking at the resume as a whole, I think LSU has the better resume. But the argument's going to be made when they unveil it, because it has to be a television event, of course, tonight, that USC deserves it because they only have one loss. Both USC and LSU are going to be playing for conference championship games. If both of those teams win, I believe they're both in. I don't think it really matters. As long as they're five and six, I don't think it really matters. Because here's the deal. Let's say LSU beats Georgia in the SEC title game. Georgia's still going to be in. LSU will then be in. That's two of the four. Winner of Ohio State, Michigan, that goes on to win the Big Ten, they're in. And then TCU is going to be in if they went out. That's a big what if. That's a big what if. And if USC beats Notre Dame on Saturday and then beats Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game, they're probably going to be on the outside looking in. To be honest with you. So I don't think it really matters because the committee is not going to take the SEC champ if it's LSU. They're not. They're going to take it. So 
if LSU wins, and that's a big what if, if LSU wins, LSU and Georgia are both in, so half your field is going to be SEC teams. So that's going to leave up Ohio State, Michigan winner, if TCU wins out, and then USC, if they win out. Once again, there's a lot of what-if scenarios there, right? We're going to find out a lot more about how all this is going to look after this week, the end of the regular season. Does TCU trip up either this weekend or in the Big 12 championship game? Does LSU beat Georgia? Does Clemson get enough of a boost? I don't think so. Of all the teams on the poll, USC, LSU, Clemson, Clemson I think has the weakest resume. Plus, their chances took a big hit because North Carolina lost to an unranked team over the weekend. And North Carolina was supposed to be their last quality opponent win that they were going to face in the ACC championship game. Plus, now Clemson still has to face South Carolina in their rivalry game this weekend as well. And we saw what South Carolina did to poor Tennessee. Destroyed them. Absolutely destroyed them. So, man, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. I think it's going to be close between five and six tonight. Top four, settled. But I think it's going to be really tough between five and six. And look, I've said this before, and I said it when Jeff Plerma was on yesterday, and I'll say it again. The committee, huh? maybe not the committee voters. Let me be clear here. But the people that run college football, the TV execs, so do not want to see TCU in the in the Final Four. They want Georgia, the defending champs, out of the SEC. They would love to have LSU if they win the SEC. They'd love to have Michigan, Ohio State. But, man, if they get a way to find out, if they can figure out a way to get USC in there, they're going to. If they can figure out a way to get Clemson in there, they're going to. They can figure out a way to get Alabama in there, even though that's an improbable situation, they're going to want that. The two conferences that move the needle, as much as everyone complains about the SEC, they watch it. As much as everyone talks about the bias for the SEC, they still watch. Watching equals ratings. Ratings equals advertising revenue. Advertising revenue equals huge television contracts. See how that works? I'm not saying it's right. I can make an argument that Ohio State and Michigan both deserve to be in the playoff. And if TCU wins out and they're undefeated, they deserve to be in. But I'm telling you, the movers and shakers, the people behind the scenes, the people that move all the money around, ooh, man. They are, they are praying for the Horned Frogs to get upset. Once again, 72% of you say LSU deserves to be ranked number five. 26% say USC. 2% say Clemson. As our guy Salty Steve has commented, it really doesn't matter who number five is on November 22nd. If you're number five on December 22nd, you have a problem. And that's well said. Once again, LSU controls this destiny. I've told you this. If they went out, they beat A&M on Saturday, they beat Georgia, they're in the playoff. Period. Done. It doesn't matter what USC does. It doesn't matter what TCU does. It does not matter. LSU wins the SEC, they're in. And we could argue whether or not they deserve to be in or whether it's fair 
or whatever else it might be, but I'm telling you, that's how it's going to be. They positioned LSU as the number 10 team in the initial rankings. Would not be surprised if you see them number five tonight. Either way, I think it's going to be close. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Doug to the show. Doug, good morning to you, brother. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family, my friend. What's on your mind? Well, hey, happy Thanksgiving to, to you and everybody in 103 listening land, Ray. You know you start talking college football playoffs. I got I got to chime in, Ray. I, yes, LSU has to win out. I'm, there's no, no question about it, Ray. And if USC... Putting them in at number five, Ray, I mean, they're putting them in right there at the door. If somebody trips up, I mean, somebody at Ohio State or Michigan is going to trip up, but that's going to give USC a slot to get yep. into the top four. My my thing is, Ray, if LSU beats Georgia, would they put Georgia in the playoffs over a conference champion, TCU, Ooh. or USC? How would that work out, Ray? You talk about oh man, conundrum, man. Oh, the there's going to be a lot, of, a lot of mad people, Ray, <laughs> if, they skip, <laughs> if they skip over TCU to put Georgia in. And look, Georgia hasn't been looking that great lately. And a game yesterday, we, I mean, a game Saturday with uh, Kentucky. Look, they had their I'm hands not full. So scared of them anymore, Ray? Well, and 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 the other thing is that they've looked, they've looked, you know, a little vulnerable. Remember, they struggled against Mizzou, right, uh, during the yeah. regular season as well. You know, in that yeah. scenario, they're the defending champs, undefeated. If they if they lose a close game in the conference championship game, I still right. feel like they would take Georgia. Not over an undefeated TCU team, but over a one-loss conference champ USC, though. I think the committee uh, would do that. I think that's how that maybe. would go down, even though they would want to keep TCU out. <laughs> but if that's yeah. a scenario, if that's a scenario, then you would have LSU, Georgia, whoever wins the game between Ohio State and Michigan. Those are your three. And then an undefeated TCU team would be in, and then USC would be the team on the outside looking in. That's how yep. that would work. Yep. Yep. So they may they may even move TCU up to number three tonight, Ray. You know, I I haven't even thought about that, Doug, with Michigan struggling against Illinois and having a couple guys injured. Does do, do they drop them to the four spot? I, I I'm not for sure there. Uh, well, everybody was struggling this weekend. I mean, it, it was, was it was a close call for everybody. It was except LSU. And I also think in, in, in these scenarios, because, look, there's so many different scenarios, Doug, but, you know, you brought up Clemson last week. I still think North Carolina losing this week hurts Clemson's chances. Uh, absolutely. I, I think I think that hurts their chances. But, look, there are scenarios here where it could pave the way. You know, TCU loses, USC loses. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, Clemson mm-hmm. could find itself in that position again. So, I don't know. There's going to be some tough decisions have to be made, and I'm thinking the committee hopes some games go a certain way this week and next week to make it a lot easier for them, brother. I appreciate well, the phone call. Definitely going to have to beat A&M. They can't lose to A&M. That's right, bud. That's going to give Alabama a way in. I'm, I'm, that's what, I'm, I've got my eyes to the side over there looking at Alabama, Ray. I know. And the, and the fact mm-hmm. that they didn't drop out of the top ten with two losses, despite this being the worst Alabama team since the year one of the Nick Saban era, 
made made uh, me kind of perk up, and I went, they're still ranked ahead of a one-loss Clemson team. Uh, yeah, yeah, the yep. committee's kind of telling on themselves. Doug, I appreciate the phone call. I got to hit a break, bud. Thank you, though. Thank you, Ray. We got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up hour number two here on RP3 and Company. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Oh, the game wants to stuff your stocking with a $500 Visa gift card. That's right. It's the Christmas Comes Early Sweepstakes presented by Armitar Jewelers. Simply enter in the Games Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com for a chance to score you a $500 Visa gift card. That's right, a $500 Visa gift card. It's just that easy. It's the Christmas Comes Early Sweepstakes powered by Armitar Jewelers and the Game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana sports station good show so far borderline great you know what's going to take us over the top the final hour of rp3 and company we're going to start it off with our buddy jim gazzolo the great one the man who hosts the mcneese coaches show poke nation and covers the cowboys for the lake charles american press he's going to help us kick off our number three here on rp3 and company Keep it locked in to the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Do you need professional cleaning? From complete home or business cleaning to fire and water disasters, Superior Contract Cleaning is the only company you'll need. Visit SuperiorContractCleaning.com or call 337-247-5567. The holidays are here, and Classic Golden Pecans has all the gourmet pecan products that you've come to love at ClassicGoldenPecans.com. Whether for yourself or shipping to family and friends, ordering and shipping are quick and easy. And if you have questions, call us at 988-0850. Praline pecans, butter roasted pecans, milk chocolate, dark chocolate, Cajun spice pecans, and more. Can't decide? Choose from one of our samplers and get our most popular flavors all in one package. Need truly standout gifts for those important people that keep your business in business? Our corporate customers have been saying happy holidays with gifts from Classic Golden Pecans for over 20 years. We can ship to your list and we can make your gifts distinctive with your company logo. Visit us online at ClassicGoldenPecans.com or call us at 988-0850 because it's just not the holidays until Classic Golden Pecans are on the table. Order some for your table today. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. New Orleans Pelicans were winners last night as they took on the cover band known as the Golden State Warriors. They're at the... Big blender. Zion returned, and we'll recap it and talk about the start to the season for the Pelicans, which has been kind of up and down when Ali Cassell joins us half an hour from right now here on RP3 and Company. Of course, we'd love to hear from you. 
you can always call the hotline 337-706-0111. We've touched on a slew of different topics this morning here on RP3 and Company. We touched on Louisiana Raging Cajuns football. We've talked LSU football. We've talked, unfortunately, New Orleans Saints football. <laughs> it has not been. It has not been amazing. We also touched on a little World Cup action. This happened. Saudi Arabia stuns Messi and Argentina in the World Cup opener for both teams, beating Argentina 2-1. to one. That's right. One of the faces, one of the greatest soccer players of all time, and Argentina was a betting line favorite, by the way, to win the whole thing. They lose to Saudi Arabia. That happened earlier this morning in the opening of the World Cup. Wow. That's a bit of a stunner. Not nearly as disappointing for a lot of soccer fans here stateside that got geared up and ready to go to cheer USA, USA as the Americans went up one nothing on Wales yesterday only to give up a late goal and to get a draw against Wales. And guess who the Americans have to face on Friday? England, a country that actually cares about soccer. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck, Team USA. As our friends and our next guest often says, woof. He is the host of the Meet Needs Coaches Show, which you can listen to every Wednesday night right here on the game. He's also host of Poke Nation on television. And he's the man who covers the McNeese Cowboys, Cowgirls for the Lake Charles American Press. The award-winning reporter columnist Jim Gazzolo joins us now. Jim, good morning to you, bud. How you doing, brother? Four more years. Four more. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just chanting how many times we're going to hear the hype of USA soccer. First. <laughs> Nothing. I've heard it my entire lifetime, and yet not even a semifinal appearance. So this is the greatest team of all time, and we lost to a team that really isn't even a country. <laughs> oh, the saltiness already on full display, which I love. I absolutely love. All right, let's talk about something that's not salty. I mean, these Cowboys, <laughs> bud, they end the season, three straight wins, huge deal, huge accomplishment, rather, for Gary Goff in year number one. To end with four wins, but it feels more than four wins, doesn't it? Because they won their final three games, building up some momentum for this offseason, which is going to be critical on the recruiting trail. What was your biggest takeaway from what you saw, not only on Saturday night inside the hole, but from what this you saw from this team from the Southeastern game on? Uh, really, from, the bot, from actually Nichols on, I thought they played well the last half of the year. And the difference to me is this group of seniors didn't quit and the coaches didn't quit. And what I mean by that is they weren't looking for their next job. So these guys stayed in touch with their players. They kept them motivated to play hard and they convinced them that there were better times, even the seniors. And they said to the seniors, you know, Hey, when we win a conference title, this senior class will get a ring from that team because of what you went through and what you stayed with the program. And that, that's, that was, we saw the difference. You and I saw the difference last year. It was uh, an ugly performance against Northwestern state. This year it was 
a solid, if not great, performance against Lamar. So, you know, as I always say, is it helps with who you play. In the last three games, they play teams with a total of five wins. <laughs> that helps, but you could also see a difference about halfway through the season where they figured out that they could run block and run block well. Yeah. And then the team no longer had to be dependent on inconsistent play at quarterback and inconsistent play at wide receiver. They're like, hey, you know what? We can run the football. This is what we are. This is what we're good at. And I credit golf for kind of tweaking his offensive philosophy to, you know, going to that style of football, which is not his forte, because he knew it no. give his team the best chance to win ball games. Yeah, and I, I think that was it. And also, I think that yeah, people seem to forget that they opened with the number four team in FCS, then they went to an FBS school, then they played the number seven team in FCS, and they actually played the number 22 team in FCS all during the early part of the season. So they had a really tough schedule uh, and didn't handle it well. And I think the first part of the year, we saw him trying to implement his system. And the second part of the year, like you said, is he realized, i got to win some football games. And this is the way to do it. Just turn and hand the ball to Dante McMahon. Dante McMahon is more than likely going to earn first-team All-Southland Conference honors. He was the Southland's leading rusher. Probably will be a strong candidate for the Offensive Player of the Year. Yeah. They're going to have to replace him, but that type of success and the accolades that are going to come with him, that should help them on the recruiting trail getting another great yeah running back or a few of them in this recruiting class. I know they want to improve wide receiver, but golf and his staff are going to make sure to have to refill the coffer, so to speak, when it comes at running back too. Yeah. Well, they do get the angel Durham back. Uh, he That's was true. granted an extra year of red shirt and he had 136 yards his last game and had 200 yard games. So he, he could become that guy if he's totally healthy after the, the leg injury. But yet, yeah, look, this is a team that you and I know, you could say all you want about three wins in a row. This team needs to get into the – not so much the transfer portal, but the, I think the junior college to really flip this uh, and get some junior college kids in here and continue to build from the uh, recruiting class he had last year. The, the interesting thing to me is, though, when I talk about this earlier to somebody, they didn't really understand. This is a whole conference that needs to rebuild, not just McNeese. This conference went – 12-28 and 28 out of conference. Three teams didn't win a game out of conference. Northwestern State went 4-2 and two when it was playing the last two weeks for the conference title and didn't win a non-conference game. So this is a conference that needs to rebuild if they want to think about putting multiple, multiple teams in the playoffs. Yeah, and they're, they're going to have to work on that, right? And, and like I said... Yeah. This is part of McNeese being in the Southland, the Southland trying to, uh, I guess, a rebirth, if you will, of the Southland Conference Recover. saving. You're right. Yeah. So, And McNeese is going to be part of that, so you need them to, to be good. We talk a lot about you know, wide receiver. What's the bigger priority for this team, finding competent wide receivers or finding a competent quarterback? I have been told that the the list is the quarterback number one, 
quarterback number two, quarterback number three, and quarterback number four. They've got to find <laughs> multiple quarterbacks. They've got to find because we were down to number quarterback number four, a redshirt walk-on freshman playing at the end of the year and throwing for 99 yards the last two games, which they won. That's a combined total of 99 yards, uh, which is good for deadline, but is horrible for football. Uh, uh, so I think that's, that is, that is number one. He's got his eye on a couple of people, but I think the people that he's got his eye on, a lot of other people do. So he's got to sell it. But number one has to be that number two has to be, I think at least, 2A has to be receiver and get one guy in the room. I like some of the young receivers. John McCall, I think, stepped up. Uh, but also, we've got to, he had to replace an entire secondary on the fly. And there's a lot of young guys back in the secondary. I think he'd like to get a couple of guys with some years to kind of stabilize the secondary as well. I want to ask you about the secondary because that ended up being – a position that actually played fairly well in the back half after injuries and after guys got banged up and they had to play a lot of younger guys and everyone was really nervous about that. Yet that ended up being kind of a strength of the defense, um, kind of a a happy accident, so to speak, Jim. Yeah, and and look, they didn't know what they had when Crajon Bennett, a kid they were going to wear his red shirt, wasn't going to play at all, he was going to sit in the weight room. A kid from Iowa had to start all of a sudden. He became a starter. And they're like, uh-oh. <laughs> a true freshman starting at corner that in a, from a school that didn't have the ball thrown on him. This could be bad. But in the end, he really had a good second half and and played really well and became a strength. I like to say it's against Southeastern, he gets beat for a fourth and 13 touchdown. And comes back in the next series, gets an interception. That's really good growth for a young guy right off the bat. And they had a lot of those successes. Micah Davey, who hadn't played all year really, played sparingly, uh, comes up with 18 tackles when he has to sub on the last day for uh, Cordell Williams, who was out with an injury. He's the number two tackler in the conference. He goes out. Micah Davey gets 18 tackles. And 12 solo and ends up with uh, really the game-winning touchdown on a 98-yard or a 78-yard fumble recovery return. Those things you don't see if everybody's healthy. So these are benefits they got. Now, one of the things that's always the big question is, can you retain these guys as they get success? Because you have to re-recruit your own room almost yearly, too. So that's what I want to see, too, is can they – have they convinced the younger players to stay? We're talking with Jim Gazzolo. He covers the McNeese Cowboys and Cowgirls for the late Charles American Press. He's also host of the McNeese Coaches Show and Poke Nation. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. You mentioned the conference, you know, kind of rebuilding. Yet even in a rebuilding year, they put two teams in the FCS playoffs. Incarnate Word is one of the national seeds. They got a first-round bye. They're the seventh seed. They'll play the winner of Furman and Elon in the second round and then southeastern louisiana they're playing on the road at idaho in the opening round this weekend what kind of chances do you give either one of the two teams from the southland conference in the fcs playoff bracket i I think the current word is a chance because they can score with anybody lindsey scott's had a great year uh southeastern's been so up and down i'm not sure they get a bid 
had they not won the conference automatic. Because they what well, they did win at Jacksonville State, which is a huge win, but they have some bad losses too. Uh, the commerce loss at home is a, is a not a good loss. So they were really up and down all year. I don't know what they're going to bring because they don't have, you know, in the past they had, they could lead on Cole Kelly to get them offense. They really have to generate offense a lot of different ways. Their defense is really good. Uh, Southeastern's defense secondary has three possible All-Americans in their secondary. So they're going to play good defense. Can they generate enough offense? Whereas Incarnate Word is going to generate offense. Uh, they're going to score in the 50s if you give them a chance. And if you if they want to and they get a chance, they're going to score in the 70s. So they're a fun team to watch. I'm not sure they're going to win a national title because I haven't seen enough of their defense to say they're going to beat some of the teams that are going to run the ball when they play in cold weather. But uh, they, have, they have a puncher's chance to, to go a long way. All right, let's talk about the hardwood. Let's talk about the McNeese men's basketball Must team. We. Yes, we. yes, we will. They host their own tournament where they get some other big mid-majors to come in for the weekend. It starts off poorly with a couple of lopsided losses. They're able to salvage it with a win over Lamar on Sunday. Uh, what have you seen so far early for Coach Aiken's men's squad? I was very I was very disappointed in the first two games because their defense was really bad. Uh, they gave up 50% shooting on threes. They gave up the baseline three whenever you wanted it. And teams were and they were shooting 50 they shot 50 times in two games against them. So they were taking advantage of it. They were they're learning a new defense. They kind of a 131 matchup zone and I don't think they really got the concept of the difference between a matchup and a zone and a man-to-man zone or a zone fully in a matchup zone, which is a man-to-man concept. Uh, and they left a lot of shooters open. Against Lamar, surprisingly, they closed out very well. They didn't allow the penetration they did, and their defense played really good. So I'm trying to see, is it Lamar playing three games in three days? Is it McNeese learning its defense? Uh, they did learn. They did make a couple of adjustments on the starting lineup, and Trey English was crazy. With, at one point in the game, he had four threes in a minute twelve. They kind of took the game over. Can they sustain that and kind of get momentum from that? I think they're a pretty good basketball team, missing a point, a true point guard, um, and they have a couple of guys on the roster. One's hurt. If he comes back, it can kind of give them the. Because everybody, all their point guards right now are, are shoot-first guys. And you need that guy that's going to be a distributor that gets people open that kind of, like a quarterback, runs the offense. Uh, that's what's missing from them. But I, I thought their defense was much better. And they beat Lamar, which is a league team. So There you go. Could be a huge confidence booster for them. If you're going to win one, you might as well beat the neighborhood rival. Brother. Appreciate you, Tom. As always, can't wait to see what you got in store for the Meanies Coaches Show this week, which will be you're gonna know pretty soon, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk to you soon, bud. All right, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family, brother. (laughs) Just a reminder: tune in Wednesday night from six to seven for the Meanies Coaches Show, presented by Maplewood Burgers. Line of bed out of Westlake in the Southwest Louisiana Law Center. Jim Gazzolo will be talking all things Cowboys as the McNeese Coaches Show 
We'll be broadcasting live on Wednesday night. So tune in starting at 6 for the Meet and East Coaches Show right here on the game 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We got to take a timeout. We'll update the poll question of the day. Get your phone calls in as well. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. You may debate which Thanksgiving side dish to serve this year. Green bean casserole or sweet potato casserole. Yummy. Classic stuffing or oyster dressing. Hashtag yummy. But there is no debate when it comes to who cooks up the very best sports talk. The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, the World Cup is back, and you can watch thrilling action on Delta Media's Telemundo Lafayette free over the air on KLWB Channel 50.3 and Cox Channel 19. For our friends over in Lake Chuck, World Cup fans can watch on Telemundo Lake Charles free over the air on Channel 19.2 and on Suddenlink Channel 137. That's thrilling World Cup action, courtesy of Delta Media. USA... USA, USA, USA draw with Wales yesterday. I I keep getting told every four years, every four years, this is the year. RP3, you got to pay attention. You got to be invested into what Team USA is doing. And I go, "Uh uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. And I watched it yesterday, and I'm like, okay, all right. I'm feeling this. They're up one nothing. They're dominating the first half, but yet they weren't scoring, right? They only got the one goal, and you're like, eh, I've seen this picture before. I know how this movie ends. And sure enough, they give up a late goal. They get a draw with Wales. And now they got to take on mighty England on Friday. Now, they'll get Iran on Tuesday, so they'll have an opportunity to get some points, maybe even get a win to move on from the group stage, but you needed to win right off the bat to put yourself in the driver's seat. Now you're going to need help. Every four years, I get sucked in by my soccer friends. Oh, this is the year. This is the year, dude. I, hey, Bro, this is the year. We got this. Okay. You couldn't beat Wales. (laughs) Like, Wales. But at least USA is not Argentina, who fell earlier this morning to Saudi Arabia 2-1. Messi, one of the world's best players, is, uh, yeah, stunned by Saudi Arabia in their opening match. Now, they'll have an opportunity to kind of get back on track, but still, that has to be one of the biggest World Cup stunners of all time. Denmark and Tunisia are knotted up in the 67th minute, 0-0 there in Qatar. By the way, just so everyone knows, 
It's not Qatar. It's Qatar is how you pronounce it. I know that's confusing because the way it's spelled, there's an A in there. There's two of them. Q-A-T-A-R, but it's pronounced Qatar. Mexico and Poland will face off later on this morning, as will France and Australia. So, the World Cup. (laughs) Poll question of the day. Who deserves to be ranked number five in tonight's college football playoff rankings? Once again, it will be tonight. It will be a television spectacle because, well, of course it needs to be. But who deserves to be ranked number five in tonight's college football playoff rankings? We know the top four will be Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU. Michigan, TCU, all survive scares. USC got a win over a top 20 ranked UCLA team. They'll face Notre Dame this week to wrap up their regular season. LSU wraps up their regular season against A&M. Both teams are headed to their conference championship game. So who's going to be number five? Who deserves, rather, to be number five? 73% of you say LSU, 25% say USC, 2% say Clemson. And Doug brought it up. Watch out. It's going to be interesting to see how they line it up this week. USC, LSU, Clemson, where's Alabama going to be? Is Alabama still going to be ahead of Oregon, who's going to be playing for their conference championship, when Alabama isn't? If the rankings come out tonight and Oregon's behind Alabama, The Pac-12 has no chance of making the playoff except for USC, plain and simple. So we'll see what the committee does. We had a spirited discussion yesterday with Jeff Palermo. He has far more faith in their abilities to do things the right way. I do not. (laughs) Sorry, I just don't. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids we got to take a timeout. When we return, though, here on RP3 and Company, we're going to talk Pelicans with Ali Cassell of the Bird Rights. Pelicans won last night. Zion came back. We'll talk about it all. That's next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Helpful tip for a tremendous Thanksgiving, number eight. At your dinner this year, make sure that the alcohol is locked away. Because you know how Uncle Carl gets. So keep the booze away from Carl. This helpful tip brought to you by your family at the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The New Orleans Pelicans had Zion Williamson back on the court. Limited action, but still had him return as they demolished the cover band that was whatever the Golden State Warriors threw out there last night, 128-83 to at the Smoothie King Center. To recap it and to give his thoughts on the state of the Pelicans as the man in charge of the bird rights, our good friend Ali Cassell. Ali, good morning to you. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family, bud. How you doing? Good morning, Raymond. Happy Thanksgiving week to you guys as well. Doing great. You saw the game last night, right? Yeah. I, so, look, I, I, I want to open it up with this. And this is a, 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 a problem I believe the NBA has. Where you're giving guys, 
you know, all this time is off. And this really started with Greg Popovich in San Antonio, and it spread through the league like a virus where guys are now taking multiple games off, right, on back-to-backs. They're not playing on back-to-backs, especially if it's on a road trip. The NBA, I guess, is okay with this because it doesn't hurt their bottom line, even though it really kind of sucks for the fans in attendance, whether it's fans of the home team or the away team, where so many guys are taking nights off now in the NBA, where it wasn't that case 10 years ago. It is a problem, and it's a growing one. And I think the NBA is concerned. The problem is how do you police it? Case in point, what we're talking about for folks that don't know is the Pelicans play the Golden State Warriors for a second time at home. And in both instances, basically, the Golden State Warriors B team was the only one that showed up. No Steph, no Clay, no Draymond, even though Andrew Wiggins. So, obviously, the competition was lesser. But more importantly, the fans, and there's a lot of fans that like away teams, but especially the Warriors. Antonio Daniels told me how there was this one child in the previous game a couple weeks ago that he saw crying when it was announced over the speakers that there'd be no step. Obviously, that family didn't know that he wouldn't play ahead of time. Same thing happened yesterday where I had one friend who works at a hotel, witnessed a family of four from Destin, come stay, expensive hotel, get four really nice seats, and they learned in front of him that you know all these guys would be out. So obviously fans are getting affected, and you hear about it all the time if you listen to enough radio shows where they call in complaining about it. I don't know what the NBA can do about it. That's the problem because, first of all, that means you would have to police, like, say, all these injuries. But supposedly Steph Curry had some kind of sore elbow, Wiggins a sore foot. So do you have to check for le- legitimacy behind every injury now? And also the more important thing is what do you do? How do you penalize Right. I don't think you'll be able to attack, say, um, player salaries. There's no way the union would allow that. So how can you honestly get these guys to play more? I I don't know what the solution is, Raymond, but I just know one thing that Golden State should have done a better job of making sure at least for one of those games, their stars would have been available there. You're the defending world champs and you're not having guys go out there and Here's the other problem for the NBA. They did such a great job under Stern of doing this in the 80s where they realized that their brand is the stars. They are led by their stars. The teams are not nearly as important as the stars when it comes to marketing, selling tickets, selling merchandise, and everything like that. And they were at the forefront of that for the four big major sports in America. It really kind of hurts you, though, when your whole league is kind of built on your stars and then the stars, in fact, don't play. I, I just, I, that's something they, they're going to have to figure out. This isn't the NFL where stars come and go and the fans still support the team because they care about the team. This isn't how that's built. The NBA is built on star power, and if you, your stars don't play, fans are going to stop coming out to games. That's the thought, but will they? I mean, yesterday, Smoothie King Center may have been as full as I've seen it all season. And we learned that Steph, Clay, and Dre wouldn't play. I, I forget what time exactly it was, but it was around noon. Right? Yeah. So it was well before people started even thinking about coming to the arena. Yeah, but how many of those tickets were bought beforehand, though, Ollie? Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, for sure. But I'm, I'm talking about the actual attendance. So you would think if they're, they want to see the Warriors, they want to see Steph, and they're not there. Why not either sell it, right? Maybe they did sell it. I'm not sure what the intricacies of all that was, but I know what you're saying. And 
there's like I said, I, I'm at a loss for how the you know the NBA can attack this because the stars, even though they are the draw, guess what? They have all the power. Correct. For them, a good season is showing up for 65 games, 60 games, right? Um, it's there's no longer anybody playing 82 games. There's even role players now that load manage. So I. It, it's a big problem for sure. Um, if you can't play in a back-to-back, I just don't understand how that's going to get you through the season, but especially in the playoffs. For instance, I was talking with Antonio Daniels, and, and he also mentioned, look, one of the reasons why you go through this arduous schedule is because it does prepare you for the playoffs, right? You can't be taking a day off here, um, a slow day there, and all of a sudden get to the playoffs and expect to be ready to play every single night. And he thinks that's another major reason why injuries haven't decreased and maybe even gone up is because of this load management. So I think it's a big problem from a lot of different angles. And again, I just don't know. There's one solution that I heard, Raymond, was that maybe you could attach, um, say, the season-ending awards, right? The MVP, All-NBA, Defensive, you name it, to playing a minimum amount of games because a lot of players do care about those awards. But again, that's not going to solve the issue for everybody, as we know. So I, no, like I but said, that's I but that's a great idea because so many also not only they care about the awards because the awards are built into their contracts as incentives and as bonuses. So uh, I, you're going to be seeing guys play a lot more games if it means they earn you know first, second team, or third team All NBA honors, and that kicks in a two million dollar bonus they're going to be more inclined to play a couple extra games. I know that sounds petty, but you may be onto something there. No, I agree with that. But here's the funny thing. It probably wouldn't have prevented from last night happening because Steph, Draymond, and uh, Andrew Wiggins, they've only missed two games all season. Unfortunately, they've both come in New Orleans. I want to say Golden State's played about five back-to-backs now, so it's really interesting to me that they've played in the other games, but not, of course, in the ones in New Orleans. So I don't know what's going on there. Let's talk about the game. Look, it was against a cover band disguised as the Warriors. I understand that. But the Pelicans had five players scoring double figures. B.I. was phenomenal, 12 and 19 from the field, 34 points to lead the way. But they went ahead and went out there and had eight players off the bench score as well. He uh, Willie Green unloaded the bench. Everyone got significant minutes. Zion had nine points in 23 minutes of play. Let's start there. What would you think of the big fella and, and how rusty did he look out there? I thought he looked really good. I know they anybody looks at the box score, sees he didn't even hit double figures, but I, I saw his movements, right? And, and his, yeah. um, you know, just, just his mobility, his ball movement, his ball focus uh, when he, he was a decision maker, a playmaker, and everything seemed on point to me. So he, he made a cut, for instance. There was this one play where he scored on Jonathan Kaminga, who's a very fast uh, quick twitch kind of athlete, and he made a change of direction going from his left hand to his right hand, going up to the right side of the basket. Kaminga never even changed uh, uh, motion, right? Change of direction. He didn't follow along with Zion. So it shows you that his speed, everything is there. So I'm not worried about that finishing line. It's just more importantly, I think overall, what you take from this game is that the Pelicans, as some people like to say, didn't play with their food. A couple of weeks ago, that game against the Warriors on November, I believe, 4th, it was really close until like the final few minutes, right? The game was in doubt. Last night, the Pelicans just absolutely, you know, annihilated them. They were up 17-4 to four early, and they just kept on widening the lead by playing really smart team basketball. No turnovers up until, I want to say, middle of the second quarter. They had 10 assists in the first quarter. So they're playing a 
way you wanted to see, right? And Brandon Ingram, of course, ended up with the game's being the game's highest scorer. C.J. McCollum started off sluggish to this season. I think that's a nice way of saying that. But in the last handful of games, he seemingly kind of figured it out. What are you seeing from C.J.? I think, honestly, that uh, viral infection, I think we talked about even on your show, really held him back. He said it knocked him down for about three or four games. And like I said, if you guys have ever been sick and then think about trying to do something athletic, you just don't want to do it. And if you do try it, you know you don't feel like yourself out there. Because I remember when I was in high school playing through basketball games when I was sick, it was an awful feeling, right? You just knew you just didn't have it. So I'm guessing that's what CJ went through. Because as soon as he said he felt great, uh, he was over his infection, viral infection, he's been playing great ever since then, right? His shots started going down. We're seeing it every night, the three-pointers, getting to the rim, just being effective and efficient. So I'm honestly writing it all off to that. Because before he got sick, Raymond, he wasn't shooting worlds, uh, worlds, you know, lights out type of performances, but he was still around 44% from the field. It was just that four-game slump that really those numbers, you know, jumped out at you because they were so poor. And now he's passed it. Three-point shooting has been an issue for this team. They seemingly have not had enough of it. And even though Trey did not play last night, they got a significant contribution from the three-point line. Both B.I. and C.J. hit three apiece. But really, Devontae Graham, I don't know where that came from, 6 of 11 from three-point range. Do you believe this team has enough three-point shooting to make a playoff run? I do, um, especially if Devontae, say, doesn't get traded for somebody that doesn't shoot the three ball. Because I know they don't shoot that many in the game. They're trying to increase that, though. But look, what you look at is the efficiency, what they're doing with catch and shoots, because that's where, you know, you can gain significant ground against opponents, kind of like the Boston Celtics, famed by watch that matchup against the Pelicans. That's how they made and, and White got a big lead early. They made 10 threes in that first quarter. And it was all basically off of driving kicks, hitting a guy open in the corner like a Grant Williams, Al Horford, Derek White. The Pelicans kind of want to start playing more like that. And we're seeing evidence of that because they have the ability, right? It's not just Trey, not just CJ, but Brandon. He's been on fire to start the season from three after an off year last year. Um, you mentioned Devontae. Jose Alvarado, much improved. Larry Nance and uh, Jonas Valanciunas, they show you they can hit an open three. I mean, they're shooting well over 40% from that uh, part of the floor. So I think they've got enough, um, whether it's, you know, top five, say, or something like that in the league is probably, you know, highly questionable. We're only, what, 18 games in the season. But I like where they're at. They're much better than what we thought they'd be, right? So it looks like David Griffin relied on a lot of self-improvement, and that's what's happened so far. So hats off to him. Wrap it up with this, Ollie. They do extremely well on the six-game homestand as they go four and two during that stretch. Now they have a little bit of a road trip. San Antonio on Wednesday, that's a very winnable game because the Spurs are absolutely trash. And then at Memphis, who they own for whatever reason, they just do. They match up really well with the Grizzlies. Then back home against an improved Oklahoma City team in Toronto uh, to wrap up the month of November. How do you feel about this team right now after this homestand? Do you feel more confident in their abilities, or do you still have some question marks? I feel more confident because they went through that lull, right? To finish up that last, you know, that 8 of 11 games to start the season, that kind of road trip, especially that last one. 
coming home on a back-to-back. Their first game of this homestand was Portland. And they just looked really slow and sluggish. You were wondering, was it, you know, fatigue? Or is it that this team just isn't as good as maybe we thought from their opening week? I think that reinforced in our minds this last, what, 10 days or so that they are the team we saw at the start of the season, right? I know that they bludgeoned the Warriors last night, but they've been generally good overall outside of that Portland game at home, outside of, you know, that first quarter against Boston. And uh, they've still been winning, right, when they've been short of man. I mean, Zion just missed three games. So they're still performing at a high level, right, scoring at least 115 points seemingly every night. And the defense is doing enough. So, yeah, I'm very positive about this team. And when you start looking at the numbers, right, the advanced stats, they really like the Pelicans. Like, they're a top-five team in a lot of areas, offense, defense, um, a lot of other areas as well. So I think there's a lot to be hopeful for. And you're right, got to smack down these Spurs because they've just fallen off a cliff after getting off to a good start in the Grizzlies. They're probably going to be out, be without at least Desmond Bain and probably John Moran. So you got to get that one too. Ollie, appreciate your time as always. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours, my friend. Enjoy the holiday and enjoy this week's uh, slate of games. We'll talk to you next week, bud. Absolutely. You too, Raymond. Take care. Have a good, safe holidays as well. Hey, just a reminder that Lyle Lovett and his acoustic group are coming to the Hyman Performing Arts Center on Friday, February 24th. You won't want to miss this incredible night of live music. Tickets are currently on sale, and you can get your tickets at Ticketmaster.com. Once again, get your tickets today at Ticketmaster.com to see Lyle Lovett and his acoustic group at the Hyman Performing Arts Center on Friday, February 24th. We're going to take a timeout. We'll wrap up today's show, finalize the poll question of the day, and get you set up for Kevin Foot and Footnotes. That's all coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston. Oh, your Alexa or Google Home speaker helps out around the house. It allows you to control your lights, your thermostats, and so much more. But did you know that it can also play the game? Just ask your Alexa or Google Home to play the game, Southwest Louisiana. It's that easy. So do the smart thing and have the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, with you at your office, your home, and everywhere you go. I want to take a moment to thank our guests for joining us today on this Tuesday edition of RP3 and Company, Trevor Beggy, former STM Cougar, McNeese, and Incarnate Ward Star wide receiver. Best of luck to him in the CFL. Coach Dez, Louisiana Raging Cajuns head football coach. Jim Gazzolo, the host of the Meanies Coaches show right here on The Game. And Ollie Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights, talking all things Pelicans. We covered a ton today. Pelicans, Saints, LSU, McNeese, UL, World Cup. What, what? We did it all. Poll question of the day was, who deserves to be ranked number five in tonight's college football playoff rankings? Let's get to, get to some comments. Darren says, USC, duh. 10-1 and one and a new face, plus I don't see them picking Clemson over either. Only way LSU gets higher is beating Georgia. Doug says the committee wants to move USC into the college football playoffs, so putting them at five sets them up in great position. But if LSU beats the, the dogs, they're in regardless. Hashtag take care of business. I agree. If LSU beats A&M and then LSU beats Georgia, they're in the playoff. They control their own destiny. Final results, 69% of you say LSU, 29% say LS, uh, say USC, and 2% say the Clemson Tigers. We have about a minute to spare here. Dancing with the Stars came to an end last night. 
and the stunners of all stunners, no. No stunners whatsoever. Charlie, the TikTok star, she won the whole thing, the Mirrorball Trophy, deservingly so. She was the only one on there, producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, that when I watched her dance, she looked like she was one of the pro dancers. Mm-hmm. She was the only one. Yeah. The other ones looked like stars trying to dance. She looked like a dancer. It's it, it's it. She's the one that deserved it. Right. I, I like that hers had no theatrics in her freestyle. Everybody else had went to theatrics and the jail bars, and I let to malfunction for Gabby at the end, and then no one needs chicken wing costumes. <laughs> I feel so bad for Sasha. Poor thing. <laughs> Uh, I mean, look, it, it, but uh, Charlie, who we know, whose mama was on the show, she's originally from Lafayette, went to Lafayette mm-hmm. High. So, but the TikTok sensation fell back in love with dancing. She was paired up with Mark Ballas. He won his third mirror ball, now the second most of all time. It was also the send off to Cheryl Burke. I said it, though. She going to be the new judge? I'm thinking so. I'm kind of believe what you're saying. It also was Len's last judging day. That's right. Since the beginning. So. Dancing with the Stars comes to an end. I can't wait until season 32 pops up in like three months. <laughs> oh, that's going to do it for us on this Tuesday edition of RP3 and Company. Appreciate you making us part of your morning. Coming up, Kevin Foot in footnotes, though, right here on the game. But until tomorrow, be safe out there, be kind to one another. Kevin's up next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros.